This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here today with Diana Ayton Schenker, a social impact strategist and founder and CEO of Global Momenta. She's also a philanthropic advisor, a professor, and entrepreneur. Diana, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Now, I'm curious to know, like, how did you, what personal experiences kind of shaped your career and sort of inspired you to become involved with social innovation and entrepreneurship? Well, there were lots of them, but the the way that I came into innovation and entrepreneurship was really more by default than design. I was driven and called to engage in work that would promote global social justice. And I thought that I would need to do that through the lens and framework of human rights law, which is how I began and entered this field. What I found out very soon was that the way I wanted to leverage the law and human rights to promote global social justice didn't really exist. I needed to innovate that. And it turns out I'm very entrepreneurial in how I do that. So before we had the language of social innovation, social entrepreneurship, I thought I was just doing my work, creating new ways to uh, motivate and mobilize people and resources for progressive social impact. It turns out we now call it social innovation and social entrepreneurship. Uh, And I now not only get to practice that, but advise others on how they can optimize their impact and uh, teach social entrepreneurship and provide trainings in that area. Now, it's funny that you say that, you know, the terminology has changed a lot because that's one of the things I find most interesting about the field is just that I feel like what, what people are talking about when they say social innovation or social entrepreneurship, it's constantly changing just as the world is changing. And so I guess I wanted to hear from you about that. Like, I mean, do you feel like that people's focus or what they mean when they say that has changed over the years and how has it changed? I think that it has changed um, and it hasn't. So it has in that by using the language of entrepreneurship and innovation, we're quite, quite consciously adapting and applying business acumen, business practices, business sensibility and strategy to how we create social change. And I think that's a good thing because business as usual of how we go about so in the so our work in the social change sector isn't sufficient anymore. We need new tools, we need new strategies, and drawing from the private business sector is a really creative way we can do our work better. Uh, and adopting the language of innovation is important and exciting because it inherently compels us to constantly iterate and reiterate and renew how we create change. We innovate in that way. So in those senses, I think the new language reflects a change. I also think it causes a change in how we we carry out our work. I also think, though, there is a constant of people's desire to make a difference, people's desire to have our work matter, to have our time, our efforts, our energy, um, and our resources generate value. And I think that that's a very uh, deep 
and uh, innate human drive. The fact that we can now articulate that and identify that drive in uh, new vehicles, new options that might engage more people, mobilize more people to realize their potential to make a difference is exciting. And that's where we are in social innovation and social entrepreneurship. Now, in your work with at Global Momenta, you work with clients to create customized plans for them to put, you know, social innovation and social entrepreneurship plans into practice. Can you take us through, like, when a client comes to you, can you take us a little bit through the process you go through with them to kind of determine what is the best fit, like, what plan is the best fit for them? Sure. I don't have a cookie-cutter solution, and I don't come in, um, as I heard a, a colleague say at a conference yesterday, as a solution provider. I come in as a thought partner. So as a thought partner, I want to be a very active and astute, hopefully, listener to who my client is as an individual, a family, a foundation, an organization, a company, or their advisors, and really what their needs are, what their vision is, and what their um, resources are that they want to mobilize for their social impact uh, vision. And then, and then we strategize together based on, on those factors. So if I come in with a solution that I think meets all their needs, I could miss a really important opportunity that they might inspire in me to suggest or have themselves. And I see that also as an iterative process where we'll work together to create the optimal strategy for them. So you know, my tagline with Global Momenta and really my mantra is to optimize your impact. That doesn't mean necessarily maximize the numbers according to an algorithm that I've preconceived. It means what is the optimal uh, strategy for you? Then rather than imposing a solution on my clients, we'll create that together as thought partners. And now as part of that, like what are the most important things to you like that you want to learn about them? Like maybe either whether it's visiting their headquarters or sitting down and talking with them, like what are you trying to learn to sort of help them figure out how to optimize? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, well, the, the big picture answer in terms of you know, motivation is, is what is inspiring and driving their, um, their coming to me. So what's keeping them up at night and what's getting them up in the morning? Um, and if I don't get a feel of you know, that, that spark or excitement, something's missing and we need to find it. Um, usually it's there or we can get that. That's probably the first thing I need to learn about them. The second is just more practical. What are the resources they're able to identify and uh, uh, mobilize for, for this vision? Um, and that, that need not be exclusively financial. And it may be a small or a large financial piece of a bigger picture, but what really is the full spectrum of resources at their disposal that they want to bring to bear. Um, and then the third is a, a, a structural organizational capacity. So what is their style? What is their work style? Do they want to be very hands-on or hands-off? Um, what is their, uh, their, their preferred role that they want to play? What are their success factors? So when they have been in a moment, and this is something I usually ask um, clients, uh, uh, as a way of learning what I need to know from them. When they've been at the top of their game, 
when they know that everything's lined up and they're doing a great job and everything feels right and they get the feedback and the results that they want, what were the factors that they needed to come into play for that moment? We all have those moments. You probably have that moment right now thinking about it or a viewer watching this can think, I know when that moment was for me. What was I doing at that time? Who was I with? What was my role? If I can understand and learn that, then I will understand better how to work with that person. So as we optimize their social impact, it's, it's customized to them and their needs. Now, you also teach social entrepreneurship at the new school. And I'm curious about what is the biggest thing that you're trying to, I guess, teach the students, but then also what's the most important thing they've taught you? Those are great questions, too. So um, I, I love teaching social entrepreneurship and am happy and honored to do it now at the Milano School of Management at the new school. Uh, and uh, I've also been fortunate to lecture at other schools in other arena and, and at Bard's MBA in sustainability. What I learn every single time is um, uh, from the students uh, that there is an unquenchable thirst and desire to be part of this era of social impact, if we can call it that. What I teach and uh, want most centrally to convey is that we all have a role to play in this time and this process, and our world needs all of us. So no one's off the hook, and uh, no one's irrelevant, that it all matters. We're not all going to be social entrepreneurs, but not everyone should be an entrepreneur to make a difference. We can understand social entrepreneurship as one driver of social change to then identify where do I fit into that ecosystem. Maybe I'm an investor or a philanthropist that's partnering with financing this kind of social change. Maybe I'm a conscious consumer or a teacher or another important role in this, this larger picture, but I have a place. And it's up to me to take that stand and rise to the occasion because the time is now to do so. That actually brings me to my next question. So, I mean, social in, social innovation in, in impact, it often involves partnerships from, you know, both from the nonprofit sphere, from the private sphere, and from the government sphere. And I'm wondering, I guess, how do you think that, pe that people from each of these spheres or individuals or groups, whatever, can be better partners to each other? I'm loving your questions. So how I think they can be better partners to each other, I think it's the same way we're, we're good partners in anything, um, that we're mutually benefiting from the relationship. We identify and recognize that. We're mutually respectful and recognizing of each other's equal value and uh, worth in the process. Um, and I think that we are merging towards greater and better partnerships between sectors as we come into a convergence in understanding that we need different disciplines and industries working together to solve problems or better yet, prevent them from happening in the first place. Uh, and we're, Looking in that process, I think, at, of convergence, at um, seeing more co-creation um, and collaboration that necessitates or reflects greater um, transparency and uh, uh, authenticity. So um, that's a shift in power 
because um, we used to think that whatever our sector was, was um, the primary place from which we view the world and then everyone else comes in or out either giving us the power that we don't have and we want and need or taking from us the power that we're gonna hold over them. And I hope and see that we're arriving at a point where we recognize the real power is in being present with each other. And that's when you have really powerful partnerships. Now, what do you think is maybe the biggest misconception that people have about strategic philanthropy or corporate social, social responsibility? I'm not sure what the biggest um, mis misperception is, but I think there are. I think there's some baggage that those terms come with, um, and and perhaps they are misperceptions. One is that it's you know what we call greenwashing with environmental programs that aren't really doing anything good for the environment, but they look like it. So one is that that, that it's just for show, um, or it's just semantic but it's not really making a difference. The other is that it's making a difference, um, but that corporate social responsibility program or that strategic philanthropy uh, initiative is an isolated and perhaps marginalized segment of the company or the, the philanthrop uh, philanthropy or philanthropic program. Um, I think that those are misperceptions because while we may have started out that way, we're learning to integrate and have more convergence of those kinds of initiatives, corporate social responsibility or strategic philanthropy, as part of how we do the business of social good, the business of our corp corporation, the business of our philanthropy. Um, I think there's also a misperception of dismissing uh, those initiatives, and I guess it relates to the other two perceptions, as being somehow not as important um, and uh, not as central to the core mission of the, of the corporation or of the foundation. But actually, sometimes that's, that's um, the most important part. And when it's effective, it's actually embedded into the business. Well, and that actually brings me to another question. I guess, what do you think there is, whether it's a leader of the company or whoever's leading the particular corporate social responsibility initiative, I mean, what do you think they can do to sort of gain buy-in at all levels of the organization to sort of ha show people that it's not just, oh, that's that other thing that we do that I have to do, but it is something that's actually core to the company or the organization's mission? Well, I think the role that leadership can play in sending that message is, is really important. And... Um, um, it, it's demonstrating commitment and authenticity. So if the leadership is committing resources, financial, time, um, uh, positions, structure, to uh, social impact initiatives, that sends a really powerful message that it's not just an add-on, it's not just an incidental, nor is it marginalized. So that's, that's one important piece. Um, uh, I think another important piece is letting it genuine, be genuine and genuinely authentic for the leader. So when the leader literally shows up and talks about the social impact initiatives, not as the separate piece, oh, now I'm gonna do my social impact day, but as part of how I go around my day, how I go about my business, um, then that authenticity is really felt and it's resonant. And people respond to what's true and honest, and we sure know when it's not. So, so leadership, um, uh, I think, has an important 
responsibility imperative, and I think a very exciting opportunity to take values, the values that they hold, the values that they want the company to emulate, and say, we're going to now live this through the practice of our work. This is our business. Mm-hmm. And now you are actually part of launching a new incubator called Kick NYC. Is that right? Yes. Now tell me a little bit. What are the goals of this initiative? Well. Kick New York City is part of Kick International, a network of 13 cities around the world who are um, rolling out this new incubator. And we come in after the uh, entrepreneur may have been inspired from an MBA program or a boot camp or some kind of intensive experience, and then what? Then they've perhaps launched a prototype or piloted a venture, but they need that kick to go forward or to take it up to the next stage. So we are an intensive, concentrated accelerator to um, uh, take the entrepreneurs through um, a training program that covers uh, social entrepreneurship, uh, all the you know the good and the bad and the ugly and the beautiful and gorgeous that you need to know, and uh, facilitates peer-to-peer learning and engagement along with mentor matching of practitioners in the field, um, and it all takes place in a co-working space uh, devoted to social entrepreneurs, so that they, as they're incubating their idea or their own leadership are uh, in the environment of the community of social uh, enterprise and entrepreneurship. With the Kick New York City program, as director, I'm also introducing a new element that um, I've created through Global Momenta and uh, rolled out this summer, piloted through my partner, Inspiring Capital, um, who also has a terrific fellowship program. I call that values in action. So I'm looking at framing social entrepreneurship as the way that we live our values in the action of our work and our business. So we're framing the social entrepreneurship training through values in action, looking at four what I call compass points to guide us through this new terrain of social entrepreneurship and innovation. And those compass points to guide us are uh, inspiration, intention, integrity, and impact. So all of that comes together through the Kick New York City program and then other ways that I can share that with clients and, and the community. And now reading about it actually got me wondering, like, what do you feel like is, I mean, for young social entrepreneurs and whether that's young in terms of age or young in terms of people just getting started in this space, what do you think are the biggest needs that, that they have in terms of resources, whether that's, you know, tangible or intangible? Well, uh, I think there are several key resources that they need. Um, I do think capital support is essential and really important. And I know a lot of... Um, colleagues and funders who say, you know, it's never about the money. It's always something else that they need. And that's true, unless you don't have any money. And then guess what? It's really about the money. So um, so I think, I think the capital uh, uh, support financing is really important. Um, secondly, community. And by community, I mean both 
infrastructure, a place physically that you go to where you interact with other people, and a community of human resources, people and peers you can engage with to support you, to try out ideas, to um, uh, get inspired and, and supported by. Um, so capital, community, infrastructure. Um, uh, uh, and then I think a lot of entrepreneurs need sustenance, sustainability, sustenance to sustain the operation. Um, and sometimes that's one of the other components, the capital or community infrastructure needs. But sometimes it's just that, um, uh, that you can do it through one more iteration. So there's, there are structural components that we need to understand and iterate and reiterate and pilot and then re um, uh, revise and then pivot in the process of innovating an enterprise. And uh, for that, it's really helpful to have great advisors, a coach, a trainer, um, but those, those resources that sustain you so that you're really a sustainable enterprise. And by that, I don't mean the sustainable in the sense of being resource-friendly, environmentally friendly, although that's good too, but being able to sustain your work. Um, those are huge needs. Uh, I think there's also a sense that social entrepreneurs feel like they can create their own thing and they're on their own and they're going to go do it. Um, but actually, you need to be part of... Um, as supply chain management. So you need um, to consider who will be your clients or customers, um, who will be your suppliers, your, um, and, and the advisor piece is also really important. So when I spoke about sustenance to sustain the enterprises being a need that young entrepreneurs of any age, and I appreciate that insight, um, we all need advisors and my um, advice and approach to advising entrepreneurs is to gather people who inspire you from different disciplines and, and sensibilities than your own. You already have you at the table, so we don't need another you, actually. That's what friends are for. But for your advisors, you need someone who knows more than you. You need someone who knows, knows less than you. You need someone who's more experienced and less experienced, someone who comes from a completely different sector, someone who comes from a different aspect of the business process. And having the the courage to invite those people smarter than you around the table with knowledge you don't have is a really important part of building your team. Great. And just one final question for you. What is the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever received? Oh, that's great. And I wish I had a really great answer. Um, uh, you know, the, the best advice, I think... Um, I've ever received wasn't really advice. The best advice that I that I returned to came from it's just one of my favorite quotes. Um, a colleague of mine, Joy Anderson, um, who said, "Trust grace to surprise you," and I love that as a leader. We think that it's all about our business management and the skill set that we need to bring up, but I trust that we have that. I, I trust that a leader is smart and has vision and um, has skills. 
and has capacity. And then it's being open to that magic, the alchemy of serendipity, an opportunity when it arises. So if we trust that grace will surprise us, we're open to that. And as Mary Oliver, the poet, also um, indirectly advises me by inspires, inspiring me with her words, she says in Instructions for Living a Life that I think I, I take as a leader, um, three things. One, pay attention. And two, be astonished. And three, tell about it. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. I think by leading, our leadership is how we tell about what astonishes us from what we see. So being really present and attentive to pay attention and then be amazed by what's around us all the time and tell about it. Diana, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.